regardless of how tough a situation may seem or even how hopeless our hearts may become because of the circumstances, I believe the Lord promises deliverance to the righteous. And I'll show you that in the message this morning. He promises deliverance to the righteous. If not now... He does promise it for eternity, amen? You say, well, he hadn't delivered me yet. Well, I want to tell you, when you get to heaven, you're delivered, amen? amen. <laughs> so if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if it's not happening right now, it is going to happen for eternity if you know Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, remember this. God, and I think about this all the time. How many in here get anxious sometimes? You, you have anxiety. Anybody at all? I'm, I'm it. Nobody gets anxious. Man, this, I am a rotten pastor, man. I'm telling you, I must be the biggest stinking sinner you can find. I get anxious sometimes. I mean, anxiety enters into my life. Now, how many are going to tell the truth this morning and say, you know what, Pastor, sometimes I get anxious about things. You want to raise your hands again? There we go. I do. A little bit of anxiousness in over certain things at times. I shared the story last week. All I was doing was laying a hardwood floor. I had to take the door out. When I took the door out, I realized the floor was rotten. You want to talk about anxiety setting in, amen? It's raining, and the, the wall completely wide open and I'm thinking yep how am I going to fix this now right and so I had to tear out all this subflooring and all this stuff man I was working like a uh, just just as fast as I could I was cutting things and measuring and everything and I have Anita there and she goes honey just slow down you're stressed out I said yeah and the storm's coming amen and I got a gaping hole in the side of my house now and, and so I, I was a little bit anxious right you know God is never anxious. Do you know that? He's never anxious. He's never wringing his hands. He's never thinking, oh my, what am I going to do about this one? <laughs> when the Egyptians were in bondage to the taskmasters, was he wringing his hands? Absolutely not. He knew what was going on. When he knew that Moses was going to go and talk to Pharaoh and he says, hey, listen, tell him uh, that I am sent you and uh, we're going to release these people. He said, he will not let you what? Go. Now, I don't know about you. If I was Moses, I was thinking, well, man, why am I going up there then, Lord? I'm going to go up there. This guy's crazy. Do you know who we're talking about here? I just left town a while back, and, man, I killed somebody while I was over there. And I don't want to go back over there because that's going to be a problem for me. Was God anxious? God said, nope, they're not going to let you go. He said, but when I show him my wonders, <laughs> guess what he will do? He's going to let you go because you know why? The anxiousness is now on the other side, isn't it? They're a little bit anxious about who is this God that these people are serving. Now, here's what I want to challenge you with. Sometimes we hear Sunday school stories, and we've been to Sunday school, and you sit in church and hear this, and we think these are stories. Like we're watching some film from Hollywood. Do you realize Moses was a real man Amen. who really lived Amen. and who really lived through this? Now, I want to tell you something. When I went up to that mountain, I saw that burning bush. I'm not sure I would have turned to see the site. I think I would have been booking it out of there. I'm thinking, bushes don't burn and not get consumed. Amen? But that really happened to him. And there he's standing before God. And God says, now I have a job for you to do. I have something that I need you to get done. And so here's what I want you to think about this morning as we go into the message. I want to challenge you with these thoughts that God is never anxious. And therefore, our levels of anxiety go up and down. But I want to tell you, don't fall into the trap of anxiety. I don't think Moses did. I think he finally got to the place where he said, because remember, he's asking God all these questions. Well, who do I tell him sent me? He's, he's trying to find out what he's going to go do here. He remembers what he has to do. And the Lord made a promise to deliver the children of Israel from the taskmasters. And our Savior also promised to deliver us from the taskmaster, didn't he? Who's our taskmaster? <laughs> It was Satan, wasn't it? 
And if you're saved this morning, he no longer has you in bondage. Amen? Amen. You are free to serve and to worship God and to give freely and to do what God's called you to do. Isn't that wonderful? He has brought us out of bondage, hasn't he? And the same thing he was doing with the Egyptians here, he was going to bring them out of bondage by his mighty hand he was going to accomplish this not by the might of men and not by the might of women and not because he gave them the spoils he was doing it because he is God and that was his people amen and he's going to deliver them and when I look at this in the situation with Israel in ours today it takes faith to trust the Lord and God will never allow you to walk away empty do you believe in your hearts that Moses had to trust God when he went back to Egypt he had to trust him I mean, he's going to trek it all the way back across there and then go tell this man who has these people in bondage, he's going to let him know, listen, you're going to set these people free. And when he tells them, he says, I will not, he will not let them go, but I'm going to show myself to him. Do you know, sometimes we're in the midst of something and God has to show himself first before things get resolved. Anybody with me now? And in the middle of it all, God never lets us go empty. (laughs) He always gives us his spirit if you're saved, amen? He's not going to let you go empty. And so as we look to the scriptures, when the outcome looks too great to overcome, what do you do? When the outcome looks too great to overcome, what do you do? Do you give in to the taskmaster, Satan, and let him cause doubt and fear and dread in your heart and in your mind? Or do you turn to the Lord and say, you know what, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to trust his word. Hey, listen, this is not just true. This is what, folks? Truth. Truth. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is what? Truth. truth. This is not just true. This is truth. And we're going to look this morning at how God shows us in the scriptures that he gives us assurance. And by the way, God always, listen to me, God always has an objective. God always has an objective for a people or an individual. He always has an objective. He's accomplishing something. God does not do anything just to do it fleetingly. He does it because he is God and he has a purpose for what he's doing. And then thirdly, I want you to think about this. What a wonderful God we serve that he does this, but he gives you and me the power to endure in those situations. Does he not? God promised us in the scriptures that he gives us the power to endure whatever it is that we're going through. He gives us the strength and the power to endure. So here's what I want you to think about. The God of heaven will not fail you. The God of heaven will not fail you. He won't fail you. And when you think about this, when working with his people, he always offers the promise of deliverance. That promise of deliverance is always there. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Amen? Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with that temptation also make a way to what? Escape that you may be able to what? You can handle it. Do you know how you're going to handle it? Because God is Faithful, not because I am, but because he is. When I look to the scriptures, the promise of deliverance, the fulfillment of his purpose, God is always, always going to fulfill his 
purpose. God is always going to fulfill his purpose. God will always do that. And lastly, he will give you that power to handle it in the midst of it all. He'll give you the power to endure. Now, many already know the end of the situation with Moses and the children of Israel and Pharaoh and the Egyptian people. But you know, sometimes we just let that go in and out the ear. How many of you would not be astounded if you walked down here to the Erie, Miami, and all of a sudden it just spread uh, apart for you to walk across and it was dry land? I mean, we're just talking about the, the, the canal down there. If it spread apart, you'd think, good night, man, what just happened? <laughs> And two little walls came up about that high of water. You'd think, man, God, something. And then you just walk across on dry land. We would think that's something. But imagine the Red Sea parting. Imagine all the things that came upon Pharaoh. Did God not say, I will show them my mighty hand? Did he not say, I'll show them my wonders? And he brought fire and pestilence and, and he brought uh, uh, ice and he brought all kinds of things into their lives. Did he not? And, and, and happened was is he said now I promise you when I get done with him he's going to let you go and he still chased them down didn't he and now their back is up against the Egyptians and their back is up against the Red Sea and God said I promise you I will do what I'll deliver you now here's the thing those Egyptians had to or the uh, the uh, Israelites had to believe that when they were standing on that shoreline would you agree and the thing of it is is that God had to take them across on dry land. When the Egyptians come rolling in, what happened? Now listen, we always look at that and we think, wow. You know, I remember watching that, the Ten Commandments on TV. <laughs> and I remember seeing that. But do you realize that really? Hollywood cannot do what God did. They cannot even compare to what God did. And the parting of that Red Sea was so miraculous that day. But what was even more miraculous is that they went across on dry land. Now, I want to talk to you about this because it wasn't two people running across there as fast as they could. Thousands upon thousands of people had to cross there and keep the Egyptians at bay while it happened. And when they get to the other side and the Egyptians start coming after him, he had to swallow up all the Egyptians. Do you know faith didn't end whenever the sea parted? Faith had to still continue while they were on the other side, didn't it? And the thing of it is, is that what happens to us is, is we get through it and we get to the other side and sometimes we forget our faith, don't we? God didn't want them to forget their faith when they got across to the other side. I want to challenge you with some thoughts this morning. When this was first communicated to Moses, it took faith to advance into this promise of the Lord. And Moses had to trust the Lord. And when you and I read God's word, we must have faith that all the promises that God's made to you, to me, will be fulfilled. When I look to the scriptures and I see that he's coming again, how many of you believe that this morning? How many of you believe that the trump is going to sound? How many of you believe that we that are saved are going to hear that sound? Amen? And how many of you believe that the dead in Christ are going to rise first? You know, I think we're going to observe that happen because we're going to still be here. And he said, and the dead in Christ shall rise first and those that will remain will be caught up in the air with him. How many of you believe that this morning? Amen. His promise, just as he promised he was going to part that Red Sea, he's promised us he's coming back again. You know, we ought to live like he's coming today. Amen. Not like it's going to be some later date. When I look at this, both now and in Moses' day, there is a taskmaster. And Satan then and now does not want God's people to succeed, but to have a life of defeat. He wants us to distrust God. And so we'll live distrusting God rather than trusting God and live the way God wants us to. And I want to challenge you in the way you live from day to day. 
I want to challenge you in what you do and what you think and what you say and where you go and what you believe and what you're doing with your day. I want to challenge you with that. Because, listen, there's coming a day. Listen, there's coming a day when the trump shall sound. Amen? And those dead in Christ are going to rise. And where am I in the midst of all of that? I want to challenge you with how you're living. What the Lord wants for us is to live by faith and trust the living word of God. And the promise of the Lord now and in the time to come and yet future is there before us. Let me give you a couple of verses. You can write these down. Joshua 21.45 There fell not aught of any good thing which the Lord hath spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. Everything that God said he was going to do, he accomplished. How many of you believe he's coming back again? Amen? He's coming again. Now listen, that ought to excite us. That ought to just really stir us up a little bit and say, you know, how am I living? What am I living like? He said in Hebrews eleven sixteen, 16, but without faith it's impossible to do what? Please. You can't please him. Do you know what it takes to believe that he's coming back again? It takes faith, doesn't it? The day I got saved, it took faith. And, and I believe that in, in any moment Christ could return. I had a preacher, uh, that uh, a pastor who was one of my teachers, professors in college, Mike Creed, and he used to say this all the time. He said, you know, can you imagine in heaven, it's like code red all the time. It's like code red because the only one that knows is God himself. And you think about it at that moment in time, when is it going to happen? And we don't know. And you say, well, it hadn't happened today. It didn't happen yesterday, pastor, and I don't believe it's going to happen tomorrow. That is not faith. <laughs> that is not believing God. That is doubt. But God told us in his word, he's going to come back and he's going to deliver us. Amen. When I look to the scriptures, he says, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently do what? Seek him. him. You've got to go after him. (laughs) How many of you really search for him as hid treasure? How many of you have lost that savor for God? How many of you just say, yeah, if I read my Bible, yeah, if I don't, yeah. If I go to church, yeah, if I don't, yeah doesn't really matter. We lose that savor for our Heavenly Father. We're losing out on that joy that we have. You know what? I refuse to fall into that trap. (laughs) That's a trap of Satan making you think that "Eh, that's not worth it. What difference does it make whether I'm there or not there? I'll tell you what, it's the difference of knowing what God said to you that day and wants to communicate to you and not knowing what God wants for your life. And it's a difference of God really working in your life. I don't want to fall into that trap and that snare of the fowler that God is failing and that he's failing on his promises to you and to me today. The God that brought the children of Israel out of bondage by promise is the same Heavenly Father who brought you and I out of bondage from the taskmaster, Satan. Hey, listen, I am so grateful today that I'm saved. Amen? Amen. When I got saved, God started to do some things in my life. And some of the things that he's done in your life, just count, recount for a moment. What are some wonderful things that God's done for you since you've been saved? What are some of the wonderful things that you can recount that God has really done for you since you've been saved? And as I thought about this, that taskmaster, boy, he wants us to go back into a polluted world, doesn't he? He wants us to go back and think negative thoughts and negative things and get us involved in negative stuff. How many of you could sit here and just really recount some of the wonderful, wonderful things God has done for you since you've been saved? You know, the God that brought these children out is the same God that saved our soul. He's the same God that saves souls of men and women and children today, and he's the same God that will cause this church to abound in his name. He can do that. Because he's God. And I I think about, for the name of God and the deliverance of God is, I am. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Who is he? 
I am that I am. When Moses said, who do I tell him sent me? Can you imagine that? Hey, just go up and tell Pharaoh that I am sent you. Can you imagine walking over into Iraq or Afghanistan and walking up to Saddam Hussein or one of those guys and just walking up and saying, hey, by the way, I am sent me. <laughs> hey, listen, that's who Pharaoh was, right? Pharaoh could take his head off right at that moment. God had to protect him. Listen, that took faith, didn't it? How many of you would have walked up to Osama bin Laden and said, by the way, I am head sent me? That'd be tough, wouldn't it? Who sent you? Off with his head. That guy. Moses was a real man who really went through this. And he had to trust the promise of God that he would not only deliver those people, but he would deliver him. Amen? How many of us in here really believe that God will deliver us today? Now listen, I believe in the ultimate deliverance, amen? But what about what I'm facing right now, right now today? What about whatever I'm going through today? Can God deliver you from what you're dealing with right now? <laughs> yes, he can. Why? Because he's the God of heaven. As we go into the scriptures, not only is he God of deliverance, I want you to see this as well. He fulfills his purpose. Now, as we go over here and look, and you see in verse 7, he said, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. He comes over verse 17 and he says, And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. He promised them what he was going to do. Now, what I want you to think about is God has a purpose for what he does, and the Lord always has a plan in mind for his people, and God will never do anything without a purpose. And even in releasing the children of Israel, his purpose will always lead to the glorification of himself. You know why this church is here? It's not just for us. It's for the glorification of our Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen. It's that the message of the gospel will get out. It's that God will be glorified. It's that we'll go out two and two and let a nation know, let a community know, let a county know that Jesus is coming again. And the fact is, is that's all for God's glory. And they went out two and two ahead of him and announced his coming. And listen, the responsibility of the local New Testament church is to announce he's coming again. What do we do about him coming again? You need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's what it's all about. <laughs> And as I look to the scriptures, the Lord wanted the children of Israel to be free to serve him. Look at verse 12 in Exodus 3. And he said, certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. God had a purpose for releasing his people. God had a purpose for releasing us from Satan is that we might worship him in, in this place, that we might be a testimony to his name in this location, that we would do what God has called us to do, and that is to be here as a voice of our Savior in this community. They went to serve him on that mountain. He had a purpose, didn't he? And I look to the scriptures and I see that these people came to worship and also to sacrifice. He teaches us in verse 18, look with me if you will. And they shall hearken to the voice, and they shall come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And you shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go. We beseech thee three days' journey into the wilderness. Now look at this, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. 
There was a purpose, wasn't there? To serve God on that mountain, to sacrifice to their God. They got released. I want you to know something. You no longer serve the taskmaster, amen? You are free to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You no longer have to serve your past. You can serve the present Lord Jesus Christ in your life. You no longer have to serve those things that have bogged you down and caused you to be bowed down to the taskmaster. What you have an ability to do today is to be raised up and serve a heavenly father, amen? And you can sacrifice. And you say, what is that sacrifice? That our bodies is a living what? Sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. That's our reasonable service now. And you say, that is what my sacrifice is. Yes, the praises of our lips and the sacrifices of our heart are under our God now today. It's not that we're sacrificing animals, but we ourselves need to die to self and live for Christ Jesus. Amen? That's what the Bible teaches. The purpose of the Lord always leads to His glory throughout the Bible, and we find that God does point all to, his, to, to the Heavenly Father. So I, I thought about this as I was putting this together. Does God have a purpose for your life? How many of you really believe that this morning? God has a purpose for your life. Amen. And I look in the scriptures and I think absolutely. And it will always be for the purpose of glorifying him. Amen? Not that I might be lifted up, but that I might lift him up. I was thinking in Psalm 15, verse 15, And all call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Amen? Even in the midst of our troubles, he said, Hey, listen, I'll get you out of it. But listen, in the end, what's the purpose? To glorify him. He said in Romans 15, 9, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. The reason God let these Israelites free from their bondage was for the purpose of worshiping him. Was for the purpose of worshiping. You know why we got set free? (laughs) We got set free for the purpose of worshiping him. We got set free that we might be free to worship him. No longer in bondage. No longer am I a slave to sin. I have the free will to go and to worship my Savior. Exodus 6.6 6 says, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. Listen, that is a New Testament principle as well. And we look to the scriptures and we can see that God promised us these very things through Christ Jesus. He took us out of bondage and he said, I will redeem you. And he did it with his stretched out arm. He did it from the right hand and Christ is sitting on the right hand of the Father. And he said, I'll redeem you from all of that and you no longer have to serve sin. That's my Savior. Exodus 13, 3, And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which he came out from Egypt, out from the house of bondage, for by strength of the hand of the Lord brought you out from this place. You know what caught you and me out of the fire? Jesus Christ. He pulled us out of the fire. And he did it by his sacrifice. I got to thinking about the escape from bondages for the purpose of being free to worship the Lord. And you know, we can do it without hindrance. We don't have the taskmaster over us anymore. Listen, Satan has no control over me. None. Zero. Nothing. He can do nothing to me but what God may allow as he did with Job. And I'm telling you right now, he has no control over my life whatsoever. And the fact is, is I am freed from sin. Amen? Amen. And so I know that the wages is death. 
But listen, I have that free gift from God, that eternal life. And so now I'm free to serve him. Free from bondage. If Satan can keep you defeated and keep you distrusting God, he'll do that. He'll keep you in that place. He'll keep you in that place. As a Christian, he does it by causing you to purchase sin. Satan causes you to purchase sin. You know what? You look at it, you start getting tempted. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? I see that sin, and I go to purchase it. You know, God already paid for that. It's already been bought and paid for. Hey, Brother Jim, listen, Mrs. Warnick and I just bought this house out here. And um, what I'm going to do is, um, for the next 30 years, I'm going to send you my mortgage, and I want you to go ahead and make sure that that gets paid off. When it's done, whether you do it in 10 years or 15, I want you to go ahead and take care of that for me. Wouldn't that be nice if Jim just paid my mortgage for me? How many of you agree with me, amen? <laughs> Jim, I want you to pay my mortgage if, you, if it takes 30 years, I don't care, just as long as you're making the payments, okay? And when you're done, just get a hold of me and let me know. How many of you in here are purchasing something that God never intended for you to pay for? And you're running up a tab. And you're running up a tab with Satan. And by the way, it comes with a consequence, doesn't it? Because there's a payday coming. And there are many of us that sit in here and think there's no payday for the sin I've committed thus far. I'm telling you, there's a payday coming. And you keep running up that tab, and there's a day of reckoning coming. That's an accounting term. And that term means that one day it's going to be reconciled, isn't it? And you say, well, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven, but I want to tell you something. Don't keep running up a tab you can't afford to pay. How many of you want to go to heaven with some rewards that you can lay at your Savior's feet? Amen? I don't want to run up a tab that God never intended me to pay. Hey, Jim, when you get done, just make sure, just send me the deed to the property when you're done. Jesus did that for us, didn't he? Amen. He paid it off. Oh, how my heart should be a heart of... I don't want to cause any more heartache for my Savior. Lord, help me to avoid sin. Help me, Lord, to do the hard right and stay away from the easy wrong. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Help me me to do those things that are most pleasing to you, Father. Help me to stay away from the things that would destroy you. You know these people were crossing over. And I believe as they got across there, they had to really trust God. And what Satan wants you to do is run up quite a tab, distrust God, don't believe him, live defeated, and let yourself run up a tab that Christ Jesus has already paid. Why would you do that? And the thing of it is, is that we get to that place in our life where we build up such a tab that the taskmaster now has control over us. And the Lord has delivered you and me from that taskmaster and from sin and our sins, and his purpose is that we would be free from sin to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. God has provided a way of salvation, and he provides the saved, and I love this. He provides the saved with the Holy Ghost. How many of you say you're saved this morning? Again, say again. What's inside of you is God. (laughs) God not only is there to convince us what is right, he's there to tell us what is wrong, amen? Amen. 
And how many of you eliminate things that you know you should be doing in your life? How many of you eliminate things that you know you should be doing in your lives? Those are called sins of omission. I know I'm supposed to be doing this, but I'm not. Then there are sins of commission. You know what that is? I know this is wrong, but I'm going to go do it anyway. And I'm going to go commit that sin. So I take things out of my life that should be in my life, and I put things into my life, things I should be taking out of it. And you say, why the guilt, Pastor? Why the heaviness? I'm telling you, Jesus died for sins of omission, and he died for sins of commission. And why keep committing those things and omitting those things when Jesus Christ already paid the price? He already paid the cost. He already delivered you from it. He's already brought you out from it. God's provided a way for salvation, and he provides the save of the Holy Ghost that we do not give in to those temptations. His purpose is not to leave you empty, but to fill you with his word. Amen? Thine word have I hid in mine that I might not what? Does he fill you? (laughs) Does he fill in your heart? The last thought is this. Our Heavenly Father always provides the strength to overcome. In verses 19 through 22, he said, And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. (laughs) He's not going to let you go. Satan doesn't want to let you go. If he can keep you defeated even in a saved estate, and you know that heaven is your home, and he can keep you defeated and distrusting God, he's got you where he wants you. Listen, the guy in the bar that's sopping down the alcohol and and the person that's on the street with a needle in their arm and and listen, the person that's in deep to pornography and fornication and adultery and all those other things, he doesn't have to mess with those people. They're already there. Sometimes he wants to come and mess with you. And that's why we need our deliverer. (laughs) That's why we need the power to endure, amen, and the power of God. Those of us who are saved have the assurance of a permanent deliverance from the taskmaster, and I'm so grateful for that. And the Lord does it for the objective of bringing praise to his holy name. He also gives us the power. We have power to tap into things that unsaved people don't. <laughs> you know, I was challenged in Sunday school this morning, and I just asked him the question, where do you turn to in your times of trouble? Do you turn back to your old philosophies, your old ways, or do you turn to God? When something enters into your life and you don't like what's entered into your life, how many of you can say this, in everything give what? How many of you would do that in the midst of your trial? In the midst of your trouble, you say, no, I'm not thanking God for that. And the thing of it is, is that there are things that enter into our lives. And God's looking for a faithful people that will trust his power for you to endure. Let me ask you something. Did the Israelites have to endure? They had to, didn't they? They had to cross that Red Sea. The Lord will stretch forth his hand, and by his power and by his might, he can resist the hand of man, and man cannot resist the hand of God. God's hand is greater than man. Amen? Amen. And God can help us to overcome. As we think about this, notice how the people left their bondage not empty, but God provided his people with the spoils of the enemy. I want you to write this down because I've looked for this verse. I, I kept thinking about it over and over. For whatever reason, I always thought it was in chapter 12. I found it in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> but I want you to listen to this verse. Now listen to this. Get a hold of this for just a moment. He said in Ecclesiastes 2.26, For God giveth a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy, but the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap up 
that he may give to him that is good before God. <laughs> I want to tell you something. You know what God just told me? He can take from my enemies and give it to me. Amen. He can take from that evil person and put it in my hands. Amen? Because God knows that I'm going to do good with it. Now, here's the thing. That is a promise from God. Amen? What that should cause us to think and cause us to do is day after day, how can I serve my God? How can I walk in righteousness? How can I live this holy life? How can I do those things that are most pleasing to him? You say, man, that's just way too hard. No, it's not. You can do it by the power of God that you can endure. Amen? Amen. The Holy Spirit resides in you. If you are saved, God has given you the strength to accomplish these things. He didn't ask you to go it alone. He didn't ask you to do it by yourself. He said, I will provide you. Isn't that wonderful? God promised me in the New Testament. He will provide all my need according to his riches and glory. <laughs> I can do all things through who? Christ, which strengthens me. Is it possible? Sure it is. Spirit is willing. Flesh is weak. God can take the enemy of man and he can turn the tables on him. How many of you have ever read the book of Esther? Anybody ever read the book of Esther? How many of you read that book and you're going, <laughs> oh man, if Haman only knew what he was in for. How many, how many of you watch that? How many of you see the king he's not feeling well and he opens up the book and he, he brings Haman in and he goes, Haman, <laughs> Haman, listen. What did you do for a man that did all these wonderful things? And Haman walks in and he thinks, man, he's talking about me. <laughs> oh, man. You know what I would do for him? I'd give him the king's horse. I'd give him the king's ring. I'd throw his robe around him. I'd march him down the middle of the, uh, the, uh, the streets and just, you know, hail him, hail him, hail him. That's what I would do. Haman, yeah, he's thinking he's talking about him. And his mortal enemy, his name is Mordecai. Oh, king says, hey, go get Mordecai and do that. <laughs> How enjoyable would that have been to just kind of be there and you're going, yeah, you thought it was you, didn't you? <laughs> Look at you. I loved it. I read it and I read it again because I just laugh. I'm thinking, man, I can't even imagine what was going on in Haman's mind at that moment. How would you like to be just inside his head for that 30 seconds when they realized that he said Mordecai is mortal enemy? So things progress. They get worse, don't they? they get worse. Mordecai knows this is going to be a problem. It's going to be a serious problem. So a plot comes, doesn't it? And he goes and builds some gallows. He's going to hang Mordecai and his family. He's going to kill him. You ready for this verse? Write it down. Ezra 710. You ready? So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. If you read that story, you go, good night, man, what happened? Here's the thing. Then was the king pacified. Isn't that wonderful? I want to tell you something. We have no taskmaster if you're saved, amen? We have a savior in heaven. And by the way, our king is pacified. His son already paid the price. And listen, I want you to know, Satan has already been determined to go straight to hell, and hell will be cast into 
lake of fire. How long is that going to last? For eternity. We don't have a taskmaster anymore. God has the power. As we finish with this, I want you to have a few thoughts. Know that our King of Kings, our King Jesus, is passing. Our Haman, Satan, he's gone. He doesn't have any power over us. He doesn't have any strength over us. And the power of God will never leave the Christian empty. And our King provides for our every need. And he will now and for all eternity, he'll do it. He takes care of us. I believe Moses was given, if you would think about this, how many of you agree that was a daunting task, a daunting responsibility? How many of you would want that? You got a million people coming up behind you, and they're counting on you to get them across the Red Sea, and here comes the taskmaster, and he's right up on your tail. Most of us can't even handle someone riding close to us in a car behind us, amen, let alone have a million people behind us, amen. I love it when Moses, he gets upset with him. He said, why chide you with me? Did I birth all of you? <laughs> huh? I didn't get birth all of you people. What's wrong with you? And the thing of it is, is that there's those times where this daunting task was before him, and our responsibility is to believe God and not the taskmaster. And I believe that's what he did. And listen, the indwelling spirit reminds us of our salvation in Christ Jesus. Listen, that penalty's paid. You are free to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you don't have to serve sin. And I thought about this, and let me, let me read this to you. I wrote this down, and I just really thought about, you're free to serve the Lord... And do not think about the return to the past for your Canaan. How many times did they go out in that wilderness and they thought back on the leeks and the onions? Don't think on your past. Don't think on your past. The Canaan is before us, amen? I want you to think about this. Heaven, the land of milk and honey, stands before you. And the power of God is there to uphold it all. <laughs> Write these verses down. Psalm 37, 23 through 25. Psalm 37, 23 through 25. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. It says in the end here, but every woman shall borrow of, his, of her neighbor and of her, of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. In verse 21, ye shall not go empty. God can even take from the ungodly and give to the godly. God said in his word, though a good man shall fall, he shall not be utterly what? Cast down. Think about it for just a moment. And God will not leave you empty, but I think he takes the spoils from even our enemies fulfill his promises. Amen. Here's your challenge this morning. promise of deliverance. Believe the trump shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise. Amen? You believe that? Secondly, I want you to consider this then. How many of you would say, God is going to fulfill his purpose? How many believe that? 
How many of you believe that this place is going to burn up with a fervent heat? Amen. So if God choose to take from the enemy and give to the righteous, is it not his choice? We have the power to endure. Amen. God gives us something that the unbeliever does not have. We have a revival coming up. Brother Dwight's going to come and preach to us. But we have to ask God to revive us. Brother Dwight is not going to revive us. The way we're revived is if we trust in the God of deliverance, the God of purpose, and the God of promise. The one who has the power for us to endure. That's what we have to believe in. How many of you have somebody that you want in your household, in your family? How many of you have somebody that you love and you say, you know, I want to see them get saved. They're, they're not far from me. I want to see them get saved. That's good. But as a pastor, you know what I want? Just as much as I want people to get saved, I want a church of people that are revived. <laughs> I want a church full of people that say, you know what, I'm going to live for God. <laughs> I'm going to do those things that even though they're hard, I'm going to do them right. <laughs> and I'm going to live for my Savior. And the Bible says, the good man, what's his life going to be like? You see, we should delight in God and delight in his ways. Hey, we might fall, but we're not utterly cast down. Amen? And I'll tell you this, as long as I've been saved, I've never been out begging bread. He has taken care of me every step of the way. Sure, it's been hard at times, but he takes care of me every step of the way. How many of you this morning really believe in your heart that God does not let you go empty? You say this morning, God doesn't let me go empty. <laughs> Amen? Heads are bowed.